listeners, we got a good one for you today. That is right. The Quack 12 podcast, Pac-12 roster review is at it again. And, uh, you know, this one, it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of uh, Duck fans' mouths. Uh, but maybe we're going to get a whole bunch of uh, Utah fans hopping in. So uh, hi to you, I guess, because this is the Utah roster review. That is right. The Utes. Kyle Whittingham's crew uh, is invading the Quack 12. We've got, as always, Day of Addicted to Quack, uh, the film reviewer there. You can find his articles, Duck Dive, over at addictedtoquack.com. How are you doing today, Day? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great because Greg of No Truck Stops podcast are a, a very close podcast. We like them quite a bit. They're very entertaining. If you haven't listened to No Truck Stops podcast, what are you doing? Go over there right now. Subscribe. Give them five stars on Apple podcast. Leave a review. Uh, really great stuff, especially also for ba- a thorough Pac-12 basketball shit talking and just talking in general. It's a really good podcast uh greg how's it going man uh, it's going good you know i appreciate y'all having me on i think it's gonna be a lot of fun uh, i i hope so well it will be fun because you know we've been going through i i forget what number this is this may be our eighth interview or something like that uh maybe seventh i don't know but <laughs> there's a lot of them that kind of get depressing you know when you're talking <laughs> about like cal's roster yeah uh arizona's roster like e- even some of the better teams in the pac-12 you find some pretty gaping holes and sure utah's not you know utah's not alabama but mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty confident crew kyle whittingham is the the surest hand in the west right now like uh i bet you feel good when we're going to talk about the utah roster huh? Eh? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I th- I mean, I think Utah should be the favorites to win the Pac-12 again next year. So naturally, I feel pretty good about the roster. And we should say this: we got to shout this out. Um, Avery, also of the No Truck Stops podcast, came on this podcast uh, a week before <laughs> the first the, our regular season meeting. You know, uh, uh-huh. when we went up to Salt Lake City. And called out that it wasn't just going to be a win, but it was going to be like a big Utah win. And it was because, quote unquote, Anthony Brown Jr. sucks, I think is what she said. Well precisely. said. Yeah, well, she she nailed it there anyways. Uh, certainly <laughs> from that perspective. There was a lot more than wrong with the Oregon team than Anthony Brown. But certainly, you know, I mean, yeah. And, uh, and then not only that, but we always give our guests the opportunity. We say, hey, if there's a big upset, you can come back on the pod and you can just talk shit if you want. No one ever took us up on that except for Avery of No Truck Stops podcast. Um, she actually came back to the show and yeah, um, made us feel even worse. So that was great. I had a lot of fun listening to that episode. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you probably had a lot of fun watching last season. There was ups and downs. Um but overall, I mean, there's some high ups here. Some crazy shit happened. Mm-hmm. If I to put it bluntly, yeah. uh, ten and four record, eight and one went to the Rose Bowl. Pac-12 champs. Uh, it all started as every great story starts against Weber State. It's Weber State, right? I always forget. What it is Weber, Weber State. State, Weber yeah. State. It's Weber <laughs> State, of course. We all know that. Uh, 40 to 17 win. It did take a little bit longer than you'd think, uh, something like that should take uh, a little slow. 
It Charlie was, Brewer, the uh, face of the franchise. <laughs> Uh, a little slower, I remember, but eventually 450 yards of offense uh, again against uh, Weber State. There was a lightning delay. Yeah, yeah. I was, oh, there was, I was at that game, so <laughs> you were nice. There was a record crowd there. I mean, obviously, right? Because they just yeah, expanded stadium it. expansion. How was it? Was there a general sense of what the hell is going on here? Or? Well, no, because I think everybody when that happened, it was like, I can't believe we just like gave up. Uh, kickoff return for a touchdown like that's, that's right so embarrassing in week one you know and then the lightning delay happened right after that and so it was 10 to 7 or i don't know i don't remember exactly what the score was but they were beating us for like an hour because of the the lightning delay but i i don't feel like there was ever any uh scared vibes it was just like in inconvenience people were way more upset about the rain than they were about uh that score feeling changed over the next few games though <laughs> <laughs> yeah because then at byu you finally lost in the holy war holy war yeah. one of my favorite rivalries honestly because some crazy stuff has happened in these games <laughs> uh but it ended the nine game win streak against the byu cougars uh turnovers and three and outs really kind of doomed it all uh, Michael Bernard got a uh, 146 yards, one touchdown, which is uh -huh. career at the point time for him. But yeah, I lost to BYU. I, I can imagine thinking maybe this isn't Utah's year. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking, so like every year before we play BYU, uh, people ask the question, if you could take a loss to BYU and guaranteed the PAC 12 championship, would you do it? And I always say, <laughs> absolutely. I do it. However, it's a pointless question because any team that loses to BYU will not be good enough to win the Pac-12. Fool. So, of course, <laughs> the yeah. year we finally lost to BYU yeah. is obviously the year we won the Pac-12. Well, and honestly, luckily for you, BYU isn't in the Pac-12 because they'd, they'd probably have a better record than you if they were in here. I mean, Don't want to they... think about it. <laughs> that, ugh, last year was awful. That BYU game was genuinely the worst I think I've ever seen Utah's offensive line play. Mm, wow. It hurt. Free rushes up the middle every single play, and Charlie Brewer is a statue. So, well, luckily you can't hurt you anymore. Um, and then a a wow triple overtime against San Diego State, another team that like basically should be a Pac-12 team if we're just looking at like <laughs> on-field results here because they're yeah. pretty great. Triple overtime. Uh, you fought back from 14 behind. Less than five minutes left, you get like two touchdown passes. Uh, Cam Rising does yeah. it. That's right. The hero uh, to Covey, to uh, Theo Howard. Um, then you get the two-point conversion to the freshman Connor O'Toole. But when we get to the third overtime, new OT rules, uh -huh. and uh, the same two-point conversion kind of to Connor O'Toole doesn't quite work out. But, yeah. I mean, hey, there's some fight there. I, I don't know how, if you can – really take away feeling too good about losing to San Diego state, even though they are a pretty quality team. Usually I felt pretty good coming out of that game because at that point I just decided that Utah wasn't very good. However, <laughs> I was going to be excited that we had a quarterback now that I could like get excited for 2022. At that oh, point man. I was just thinking 
get eight wins if we can in 2021. That would be great. You know, like having, even on a mediocre team, having a watchable quarterback could make a mediocre team uh-huh. so much more watchable. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like in general, bad Utah teams with bad quarterbacks were not fun. Uh, <laughs> and we've, we've had quite a few of them. <laughs> but uh, Cam Rising is extremely fun. And so yeah. even though we had just lost to San Diego State, which was embarrassing, I was still like excited going forward because I was like, you know, it may be bad, but I don't think it'll be bad for very long. And just like kind of the team itself, I mean, in this first in this game against Washington State, uh, the first half started a little slow, but then it kind of just flipped on. And then suddenly you went from only 96 yards in the first half to 254 in the second um, there's also like three interceptions that really helped seal this win, including a Clark Phillips pick six. And suddenly Washington state was slain 24 to 13. And then the week after this is the big one though. Don't be thinking you're all that special beating yeah. USC this season, even no matter how historic your win is uh-huh. there, there's apparently a couple more. I mean, Oregon state hadn't done it since 1960, However, we hadn't done it in a hundred years. Hadn't done it ever. Yeah. Maybe you do get the cake there. Actually, Utah's first win in the Coliseum ever. Also the most scored uh, points scored against USC in the Coliseum uh, from, from Utah, 486 total yards, career high, 22 completions from cam rising uh, who went 22 of 28, 306 yards, three touchdowns. That must've, I mean, you were saying you were already feeling a little excited. Then you beat Washington state and you Mm -hmm. finally beat USC USC. Yes, they do suck. And we all knew that they were kind of a a zombie Uh, walking around, but still in the Coliseum. I mean, like I didn't think we had a shot in that game because we never win there. Mm -hmm. And so we went in there and like, not only did we win, but we survived a Drake London masterclass. Yeah. And we won by a lot. It was Oh, it was so fun to watch. And it was like, not only did we win by a lot, we won by a lot with a great quarterback performance, which was like validation. Everybody had been feeling good about Cam Rising the last few weeks, but his numbers hadn't been great. You know, it was mostly just like watching. You could tell that he he made a difference. And then against USC, it just like all came together for him. And I think everything came together for every team that played USC in LA last year, but that was still great. It was the next week that really got me excited, though. Of course, because number 18, ASU. Uh, clearly, that's a fraud ranking. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> number 18, ASU. Uh, and in this one, you actually did uh, fully rally from 14 points behind because mm-hmm. you scored 28 unanswered in the second half. And in that second half, you also held ASU to only 97 yards uh, for the 35-21 to 21 victory. And that's, I mean, hey, that's a top 25 win. Who cares? Uh-huh. Um, especially because, like, Utah fans do not like ASU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I ask Utah fans, they'll say their biggest rival in the Pac-12 is Arizona State. That is such a real thing. Uh, true Pac-12 fans know. Utah, Colorado, <laughs> that is a fictitious rivalry. That is not a thing. It is Utah, ASU. And I don't know, I guess Colorado is so chill. I'm, I don't even think they have a, I'm like Colorado state, maybe more of their rival. It definitely <laughs> but, is. Uh, yeah. Oh, but, Nebraska, if you ask Colorado fans. I think sure. Yeah. I mean, and there were some good, I remember some pretty good, even recent Colorado Nebraska games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, they, if the hate isn't there, 
at all. But mm-hmm. Utah ASU, I, I would love to if somehow the media actually kind of reflected this a little bit more. Yeah, it was that was a fantastic game. My voice was totally gone afterwards. It was just <laughs> like pure joy. We got to witness a great comeback. Cam Rising made up for some of his first half mistakes. Uh, and you love to see a quarterback bounce back, even if you know, even if he did make some mistakes. And also, there was a Herm timeout on an extra point, which was just so funny, like just <laughs> classic Herm. <laughs> you gotta love it. Um, and then, uh, I mean, geez, if I was watching a movie and there was a uh, quarterback who like kind of led the charge back, and his name was Cam Rising, and he kind of looked like what people think of jesus in general. <laughs> like i would think like this movie is is too corny this is not real what is yeah. what am i watching here <laughs> but uh you know it's real uh, at oregon state this <laughs> is we just talked to our friend actually um and, and uh all about oregon state all about his season and, and it was you know a little bit rough but uh this one he perked up a little bit when we got to this part that because was, yeah <laughs> I don't know where. I mean, Oregon State was pretty good at the run, and they were really good at the run against Utah. Um, yeah, this this must have deflated you a little bit, at least. You know, it, I was kind of torn coming out of it. That one, like, that was the worst I felt about Andy Ludwig mm. since the BYU game uh, because our defense was getting torn apart, and it was the worst rushing defense performance we'd had against Arizona State. I mean, not against Arizona State. I'm thinking about it. You're, no you're still thinking about yeah. that. Arizona <laughs> it was the State. worst rushing defense performance I think we'd had in the Pac-12 era. Mm. But I was more upset with how the offense had played because Arizona, Oregon State, man, I did it again. <laughs> Oregon State <laughs> lost uh, both their starting safeties. Like by the end of that game, they didn't have either one of them. And we went deep like once. And it was incredibly frustrating to me that we continued to try and just like go punch for punch with Oregon State running up the middle when like while it was moderately successful, we could have been so much more explosive if we tried something and we just didn't. And so I was furious at Andy Ludwig after that game, but I <laughs> I still felt decent about our uh, like I still felt like we were going to win the South pretty easily. Did not expect us to beat Oregon, but. Hey, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> that Oregon State game is crazy because it's like it's arguably the only good team that uh, conference you know game that that Utah played. Um, you know, because you know UCLA the next week their quarterbacks out. Stanford and Arizona suck. You know, Colorado sucks. You know, and, uh-huh. and you know when I was writing up my my preview of Utah for the you know the Oregon game, like I was basing a lot of it on the Oregon State. It was just like. Well, they're not throwing it deep to the tight ends, even though those that's a big threat, and that's what Andy Ludwig wants to do. And, and Oregon State safeties were out. It's like such a like head scratching decision that I was like, yeah, the, you know, uh, this is a real opportunity for Utah that they didn't take advantage of. So it's just you know, it's interesting that you noted that, Greg, because I mean that was all over my my preview of Utah. And then you know, what does he do against Oregon? <laughs> yeah exactly (laughs) i mean there's so much so much it's such a microcosm of utah season where it's like they make mistakes um and look down in the dumps and then they correct them at the you know at the end of the year which like okay if you're going to do that in the pac-12 you deserve to win the pac-12 because let me tell you i preview every one of these teams and like correcting the mistakes that you make is like you would think that 
Pac-12 coaches are allergic to that. Like, <laughs> uh, so then the next game, uh, I mean, all of a sudden you're back in it. 44-24 win versus UCLA. Uh, this is the fourth straight game over 400 yards of offense. So that's something. There was mm-hmm. five rushing touchdowns in this. Uh, yeah. Four of those were from Tavion Thomas. 160 Tavion yards, Thomas. Yeah. four touchdowns. Dear Lord. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, pulling a Chip Kelly against Chip Kelly almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this is the thing where it's like, I mean, you know, transitive wins or losses or whatever in football they typically they don't actually mean all that much Mm -hmm. but this one certainly had Oregon fans eyes opened a little wider here because 52 to 7 win at Stanford (laughs) against the team that beat us I mean sure it's a different Stanford's a different Mm -hmm. Utah is a different Oregon at this part of the season but uh I mean that is a beat down outgained Stanford 581 to 167 and there was three different 100-yard rushers for Utah. Yeah, we did to Stanford in that game what I thought Oregon was going to do to Stanford because I remember going into the Stanford game, I was thinking Stanford's rush defense is one of the worst I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Oregon's rush offense is very good. This should like it should be very easy. Yeah, and so I bet it, it on Oregon. Been. <laughs> yeah. Well, we showed you. <laughs> yeah, but uh. Then going into the Utah Stanford game, I just didn't know what to think because, uh, as Avery would say, uh, I mean, it's just bad vibes playing away at Stanford, uh, mm-hmm. on like at a night game. I, I was mean, honestly, playing at a ghost Stan- stadium, the fact that Stanford put up 167 yards would make me be like, I'm, Morgan, come on. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember them, I don't remember those yards. <laughs> I remember Tavion Thomas, I think it was just a montage of him running, and then a Devin Lloyd pick six. <laughs> that's Hell what i remember yeah. from that game hell yeah um and then came the game where whittingham actually tied ike armstrong as the winningest coach in utah history um 38 to 29 at arizona this pesky wildcat team makes people work for it like they'll make you sweat it's pretty strange a very yeah. bad team but uh <laughs> they, they'll make you fight uh, it was such a weird game. I just <laughs> had no takeaways other than, like, I continued to be disappointed with the special teams. Well, mm. not disappointed. Uh, that's the wrong word. Furious is a better word. Mm. Uh, well, and... usually that's, I mean, that's the calling card. For yeah, that was right. that was the other one because this was the week before Oregon. And uh-huh. I was like, you know, that was another, like, crazy reversal where, like, Utah special teams had been pretty special uh, all year yeah. long. And then, you know, against Oregon, all of a sudden, you know, they, they, you know, they're, they're blocking field goals there, uh-huh. you know, like. We were doing uh, to Oregon what other teams have been doing to us all year. Yeah, I know. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's so many, like, reversals that Utah pulls, uh, you know, for that game. It, it's, you know, I think it sort of surprised everybody um you know for for these reasons and i hope that doesn't sound like you know sour grapes from an oregon no, fan you know we've is. been we've been running down like all these different you know like y- utah kind of doesn't become utah until fairly late in the season and it's because they you know reverse a lot of trends and correct a lot of mistakes it's you know it's remarkable and uh, uh, yeah i mean would you okay greatest wins in utah football history is this top three? And I hope Ooh. it's not because for me, it's like I don't want people to remember this thing at all. 
but I mean, technically we were ranked number three. <laughs> this is in the new stadium. In terms of regular season wins, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Wins all time. I don't think so. However, the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon definitely is in the top three for me. It's that. Uh, and then the two uh, BCS Bulls. Makes sense. Well, that's, that's good. Well, hopefully you get so much success in your future, not against us. I hope so, too. This knocks out <laughs> of your memory. Um, yes, it was it was uh, an absolute beatdown. Um, four rushing touchdowns for Utah. Uh, Oregon, on the other hand, in the first half, we really just could I mean, we couldn't keep up in any of it, but in the first half is what doomed us. One of six on third downs. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's enough, right? 208 Utah rushing yards. We looked bad. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was <laughs> another crazy one. Oregon finished. I still I felt like, I still felt like that game was closer than, than 38. Indicated. Seven, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little closer. Yeah. But, yeah. Oregon was not good. <laughs> it is another one of those reversals. Like Oregon finished number three in the country in third down conversion rate. And, they were just awful on third down in this game. And like, I sort of know what you mean. Like for much of the game, I was just like, you know, okay, get that out of your system. Now mm-hmm. actually convert third downs like you did all year. And then, you know, it just didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, like in sort of like this theme we're developing of like everything was, was upside down, you know, like, uh you know and and like you know if your job is to keep track of like trends and and notice like statistical patterns like games like this are again i hope it don't sound like like a sour grapes oregon (laughs) fan they're frustrating because it's like everything you know like just throw it out just throw out all the work that you did to like point (laughs) out these statistical trends because it's all upside down yeah i think one thing that might explain it is that like oregon was so reliant on the run for the most part Mm -hmm because of Anthony Brown's limitations and maybe just how little Joe Moore had seemed to trust him at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it sort of makes sense that they had some bad games with uh, their, like I think Stanford, they were not good on third down either because I mean, that's purely anecdotal. Like they might've actually been good. It just felt like watching it. They, they don't do well on third and long. And so if you stuff them on one of the first two downs, you can, uh, you can do well on third down against Oregon. But then again, in that Utah-Oregon game, don't feel like there were a ton of third and longs. It was a lot of Oregon yeah. getting close and just not quite getting over the line. It was uh, yeah, it was a sad day. Um, and then every, every mountain man, woman, and child all went to their TVs and their old school radios, and they turned on utah versus colorado yes that's what goes through the blood of all these uh folks um undefeated baby yeah uh hey this makes it so you were undefeated at home 148 colorado yards oh and by the way the win against oregon that is what makes uh whittingham the all-time winning coach at utah um undefeated at home 148 yards from colorado in total that is it 148 yards uh, also, Cam Rising tied a career high three passing touchdowns, went 14 or 23 for 179 yards. So didn't have to 
break too much of a sweat there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so you beat Colorado because that's what you do. No one mm-hmm. actually cares because it's not actually a rivalry. Then came the Pac-12 championship game. There was a lot of there was a lot of interesting discussions about this, I remember, because there's a whole lot of like, well, you can't do the same. It's a hard thing to do to beat the same team twice. A whole lot of that. And that is true. Um, It especially helps when uh, everyone on one side of the ball is uh, fully engaged in uh, what they (laughs) have. That does help. Um, Anyways, (laughs) uh, so the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, we did do better. Thirty eight to ten was the score i don't uh, think he did better honestly i thought yeah it may have actually been worse. <laughs> i thought oregon was worse in that game especially the effort legit uh, they, they quit while. they yeah. quit at some point in that game you know oh boy it had been a while since i've seen just my team just like nothing on the field i mean body it felt language like is noah sewell thing. was fantastic yeah in that game i actually think the defense played a lot better they uh they generated a bunch of turnovers well yeah yeah offense wasn't doing anything yeah and it was just that the offense it was just like at no point were they ever threatening to score i guess they did score twice but i mean it was i'm normally it it was nuts because it was this exact same offensive game plan and like and not only did it not do any better than the last time like that should shouldn't surprise anybody but like <laughs> it did worse which again shouldn't surprise anybody it's like well, you know. Utah was even more ready for it yeah you exactly know, like, it was you know it was a it was a very strange game to watch i'm the a general... super pessimist usually with utah like mm-hmm. going into games like before a season i'll usually be optimistic and then before each game i'll be like ah we might i think we'll lose this <laughs> and that one like during the first Oregon game, I thought they were going to come back the entire time until it was no longer possible. And during the Pac-12 championship game, I was like, yeah, no, they're just, they're done. Like, <laughs> they're yeah. over this. I mean, uh, I, game ball went, I believe, to the general, Devin Lloyd, who got that early pick six, just yeah. to really rub it in our faces. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Rose Bowl won hell of a rose bowl yeah i had a good time watching it you probably like chewed through your fingernails and never been more nose. nervous during a game oh I was, my like, god relieved it, when it was, it was also over. like the most un utah game i think i've ever seen you know? no it was joke. insanity like i i'm not built i am built for the defensive like nail biter mm. not built for like all-time Rose Bowl shootout. Like I was not yet one for that. play touchdown drives. Like yeah, my heart was like beating out of my chest. Yeah, I was upset with the defense. Even if we were playing a corner, I felt like we could have done better with a lot yeah. of the decisions made. But I came out of that game feeling really good, just that we'd like Part played a against a team game. like exactly played in a game like that. We looked good against Ohio State. I got to go to a Rose Bowl. Well, half oh, of the hell team yeah, that's great. Good. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, half the team looked good. I, sh- I should say uh, we did not embarrass ourselves in the game. Like, coming out of that game, it wasn't, uh, oh, Utah just got, like, you know, blown out by yeah. Ohio State. They didn't belong. You know, it was 
Yeah, was, I mean that was a great game. That was the you know that was the Ohio State team that Oregon played, and that was like my big summer project was like, and actually I'd I'd done two straight years of Ohio State projects because Oregon was scheduled to play them in 2020. So like I had reviewed mm, all yeah. of their 2019, all their 2020, and like I was keeping tabs on them all year long. And I was like, this should be a hell of a game. Like and like you know Ohio State had a couple dudes out, and there are some like snarky Ohio State fans who were like, oh well, you know, we we weren't really playing in full strength, and I'm like. Like, nah, man, like Ohio State without a couple of receivers is still like a more well, I mean, powerful the receivers that than... replaced them still played fantastic. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Like, you, 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 I am the last person that you need to convince uh, about. It was like, very no, funny. That, was was... A, that, that team, you know, if you could tie two hands behind their back, like they're still better than any other Pac 12 team. Like, uh-huh. uh, no, I mean, that was, you know, full credit for that one. Like, I, I'm uh, again, I'm the last person you got to convince. Like, if anybody's out there who, who wants to like throw shade at Utah, like, I'm here. I'm the last person <laughs> who would be interested in defending Utah. I'm here to tell you, like, nah, I'm the foremost Pac 12 expert on Ohio State. That team's for real. And that Ohio State or Utah went toe to toe with them means that Utah's for real. Like, I, trust me I, I am an avid i like watching ohio state just because uh i don't know i've always just liked watching ohio state games i don't always root for them but i came out of that game and it was like almost a religious experience watching cj stroud in person throw the ball mm-hmm. like i made a bet on him to win the heisman this year immediately afterwards just he's incredible yeah. <laughs> like he's it was in that game <laughs> 573 passing yards, six touchdowns. Um, Jackson Smith. Oh, man. 15 <laughs> catches, 346 yards. I thought it was 357, but 346 is close. Yeah, I guess it is 346. I thought he had more than three touchdowns. I think. Well, I think the thing was uh, there were a few where he like broke free. There was one where Clark Phillips caught him and punched the ball out before he got to the end zone. Ah, that's right. I mean, and- I mean, <laughs> And Utah had that early lead, uh, which probably made it even harder for you to watch. Oh, exactly. That was the thing, because it was like, we have a chance in this game, which is why my heart was struggling so hard. Oh, that's right. He did get three touchdowns. I got it right here. Yeah, but Jackson Sinterjigbo was just like, uh, it, it just amazing highlight plays. Mm-hmm. Stroud as well. And honestly, the other thing that was really impressive about this Utah team, which I imagine has got to get you feeling good is that can I mean not this part but Cam Rising who had a great game uh or you know gave it all 214 yards two touchdowns 92 rushing yards one rushing touchdown um he gets knocked out or you know out of the game in the yeah. fourth quarter and then backup quarterback Bryson Barnes comes out and he gets the game tying touchdown <laughs> and that is just to get that is you know, it's such a better feeling than your starting quarterback is out and then you just your offense is just no more nothing. Like Which, when it happened, that's what I like yeah. when Cam went down and uh Bryson Parnes came in and had like two plays left on that series, I thought like bringing him in was waving the white flag because mm-hmm. I thought we should have like we have a different backup quarterback who'd been the number 2 for most of the year. And he's a much, much better athlete than Bryson Barnes is. And so I figured if we're going to run with Barnes in the game, this is clearly just waving the white flag. There's no point to doing it. And then, of course, on the next series, he throws a beautiful pass in the back of the end zone to Dalton Kincaid, or I think it was Dalton Kincaid. Might have been Keithy, one of the two. (laughs) And we tie the game, and it was just like, wow. Wow, I can't believe I just saw that. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, uh, you know, Utah lost, but it w- it was one hell of a game. And it's one mm-hmm. of those games that it's just like g- good all around. Yeah. Uh, and now, finally, I mean, we had a lot to talk about because you went to a good bowl game. You went to the conference championship game. But now let's dive into this roster with Hithla Day. Hithla, take it away. Uh, well, we usually start with the quarterback and you've already previewed my first question. Uh, you know, obviously Cam rising has his job. I assume that he is fully healthy. I was watching him play in the spring game. Um, there's, you know, really only one question that I have about the quarterback room, which is, you know, what happens if he's unavailable again? Because I, I too was sort of shocked that, you know, walk on Bryson Barnes came in and played instead of, you know, the other four star from Texas to Quindon Jackson. Uh, What was the story there and uh, who's the backup going forward? So, uh, I think it was a shock to like every Utah fan when that happened because Jaquindon Jackson had been getting the number two, like when we'd yeah. taken Cam out, uh, Jackson had been the one to go in. But, uh, I think it makes sense as to why they brought in Bryson Barnes. I think they have more faith in his arm, or at least they had more faith in his arm at that point. Uh, apparently Jaquindon Jackson's accuracy has improved. Like he's just with more reps What over the summer. Uh huh. And well, not like off season or whatever. Like, like that's what over they were saying. The, in spring the ball. last four months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so right now I think it's like, it could go either way. I think it'll be Jaquindon Jackson because if his arm has improved, he's just got, he's got a lot more to work with than Bryson Barnes does, you know? Bryson Barnes was a walk-on for a reason. Jaquindon mm-hmm. Jackson was a four-star for a reason. And while I don't think he'll ever be, you know, what his star rating said he should be, I still, like, he still has talent. His arm is still big. And if he's reined it in a little bit and he's making better decisions, it makes sense if it's him. So, yeah, I think it'll be Jaquindon Jackson, but it could also be Bryson Barnes. And, hey, maybe <laughs> it's very unlikely, but uh, Utah signed Nate Johnson in the mm-hmm. offseason season. They but he wasn't another... available for spring, right? He, he's, yeah, I don't, he was. He was still doing high school stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think he's yeah. going to be really good. So I'm intrigued to see if he competes for a spot. You know, it's interesting because you know Cameron Rising's very you know reliable quarterback. You know, there's obviously sort of you know question why he wasn't starting. You know, I, I think it probably had mm-hmm. to do with his injury and and yeah. you know it seemed like it seemed like Whittingham had made the decision by the 2021 spring game to go with Brewer. Like you could tell yeah. based on like who was wearing the non-contact jerseys and who wasn't. Um, and I you know probably should have just put in Rising early, but whatever. Hindsight's 2020. You know, I, I don't really got any questions about Cam Rising, but like if he's unavailable, which, you know, don't say that can't happen because we, you know, we, it, it happened twice in 2021. Um, the, you know, I, I guess I'd be really worried about the rest of this room. You know, as you mentioned, Jaquindon Jackson, you know, he, he was rated in high schools 0.96, which is a real high four star, almost, you know, close to a five star. And then, you know, when two for seven, you know, when somebody hops in the transfer portal, they do a reevaluation of mm-hmm. them to like, you know, and he drops his transfer value drops to a 0.81, which is like a low three star, almost a two star. It's like it's I believe at this point still the biggest single transfer drop of a quarterback that 247's ever recorded, um, which was crazy because he was a freshman. You know, it's like, you know, what happened there? Um, 
and boy, I got to, you know, the skeptic in me says the reason why Bryson Barnes went in is because Jaquinta Jackson's never going to be ready to play and that I wouldn't be surprised at all if it, if it is Nate Johnson. I think that that is probably the most likely outcome is that it just Jaquinta Jackson, even if Cam Rising gets hurt, never starts for Utah mm. because uh, they just don't quite trust him. Uh, I would love for him to like, get there and be ready because i think he's just like i don't know he seems very likable and the flashes of brilliance that he has are very fun to watch like he was a texas high uh, texas high school football legend for a reason mm. it was like a baby cam newton kind of a thing oh don't say that on this podcast please. oh yeah i forget you guys have yeah. bad memories my bad yeah. uh <laughs> but um I think you're probably right. I think Bryson Barnes, if we're being realistic, just because it's it's hard for quarterbacks to improve that drastically, uh, accuracy and things like that. Well, let's let's run down everybody else who's in the room. We've already noted that Charlie Brewer uh, transferred out. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Castelli, uh, who was the four star um, in, in the 2021 class, has also transferred out. Um, Cooper Justice uh, does not appear to be on the roster anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are the three departures, right? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot Cooper Justice existed. Yeah. Uh, I remember when we signed him, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he's he's sort of in a different talent category than the rest of them, but uh, I just figured out, you know, for completion yeah. sake. Um, the three new guys in the room, we've already talked about Nate Johnson. He's coming in the fall. He, in the spring, they had uh, the other uh, freshman that they signed, Brandon Rose, who's like a mid three star. Um and then they uh, they got an unrated Juco, Luke Batari. So officially, I count six guys in the room if we're also including Barnes. Um, but two of them are unrated. Jaquin and Jackson, we've sort of got question marks about. Nate Johnson doesn't come into the fall. Brandon Rose is sort of a, at a different talent level. And I'm sort of like all five of the other dudes who are not named Cam Rising, I've got you know, some kind of question mark or knock on them. You know what I mean? Like I, I'd be really, really worried about Cam Rising getting injured. And if I were a Utah fan, I'd be like wrapping him in bubble wrap and saying a prayer mm-hmm. for him every day. You know, like, do you think I'm off base? I think you're completely right. If Cam Rising goes down, Utah goes down. Uh, <laughs> I do not have faith in any of those guys to, uh, to replicate, you know, Cam Rising. Yeah. I don't have any of Well, I mean, not even just replicate. Like I don't have any of, faith in any of them to make utah's offense work mm. at this level like i think nate johnson will be the starting quarterback for utah after cam rising but it's a lot to ask for a first year guy who didn't have spring ball right. to do it, that precisely so. um yeah well it'll be interesting to watch in fall you know i i hope that the you know they give a lot of reps to like try to figure out who the backup is so that we can be a little more certain about it. But Mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah, no, I, you know, all, all faith and, and hope on cam rising. It's a lot to put on one kid's shoulders. Here I was thinking about like, I really hope cam rising with a healthy off season, like figures out how to throw a deep ball. Mm. And now I'm thinking like, I don't care if he figures out how to throw it. Yeah, no, just stay healthy, uh, brother. Stay healthy. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about the running backs. All right. Uh, sort of a three-headed monster last year. Tavion Thomas, uh, you know, obviously was the primary one, but then Michael Bernard and uh, TJ Pledger um, were getting, you know, mm-hmm. basically you had a comparable number of yards, like tied for number two. Pledger um, uh, has left, um, but Tavion Thomas and Michael Bernard return. Um, 
and on, the rest of the running back room is per, for, oh, first of all let, do i get that right like is that factually correct uh well so i should say uh his name is actually pronounced Mackay bernard uh oh, really Mackay yeah bernard. i know it's spelled like i thought it was micah too but it is Mackay. Mm. this is see this other is than that though, stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. other than that i think you got everything factually correct <laughs> so um there's uh several other uh returners as well chris curry's probably the most notable of the returners he was another uh, uh transfer um mm-hmm. uh, he came in from lsu um but he you know he got a small fraction of the yards the other guys did um there's also uh, ricky parks who is a true freshman uh four star in 2021 he'll be a redshirt freshman this year um he didn't get any carries but he's a four star and he was a true freshman that doesn't you know really mean mm-hmm. anything uh there's a bunch of walk-ons who i saw in the spring game uh uh, I'm not going to name them because I, I doubt they're yeah, going to play, but there are a bunch of them. There always are with Utah. And uh, and then, the, you know, I count for new guys. Um, you know, three of them are, are unrated, a couple of SES transfers and a Juco transfer. But the notable one is uh, the, another four-star, Jadon Glo- Jalen Glover, mm-hmm. um, who was available for spring and uh, was playing in the spring game and, and looked pretty good. Do I have all of that right? I think so. I mean, like, I might be forgetting someone because we do always have a lot of running backs, but I think yeah. that the notable guys, you all, you named them all. So uh, my guess would just be it's Thomas Bernard and take your pick of Courier Glover. And otherwise, it's going to look like the same sort of three man rotation as it did last year. And the only question is whether or not it's going to be Curry or Glover replacing Pledger, or maybe, or I'm sorry, I should say Parks, you know, included in, in that as well. Yeah. Uh, is that how you see it too? So uh, I think uh, Tavion Thomas is going to be the number one going into the year for sure. Sure. Uh, I think Mackay Bernard's role apparently is going to change a little bit. Like, oh, really? He is – he's an athlete like <laughs> in the – you know, like there's a reason he was the guy they moved to play corner in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to play a lot of like slot receiver this year, just oh, do really? a lot of gadget stuff. That's interesting. Uh, I think they're going to try and use him to fill the Britton Covey role. Hmm. Like he, he's not, he's not going to do it all on his own, but I think him and like Brant Keithy together, maybe will be the ones that try and fill that. And so because of that, I think he'll get fewer rushing touches than he did last year. I expect Jalen Glover to get a lot of, uh, to get a lot of touches because coming out of high school, I've never seen more Utah fans excited about any player than Jalen Glover. And when he got to spring, everybody who was watching spring practice, including the coaches, had nothing but great things to say about him. I think he's going to be getting like, maybe he won't be in week one, but by like week four, I expect him to be getting like 30% of the rushes. And with Tavion Thomas getting like 60%, the other guys I don't think are going to get a ton. Do you, do you not think that Curry or Parks are in the mix? Parks is a mystery because like, I think he's good, but at the same time, we've just heard so very little about him. I don't think Curry's in the mix at all though. I think he might be the guy that gets touches at the end of blowouts, but he hasn't been impressive at all. And by the end of the year, he wasn't really in the rotation in mm-hmm. terms of running backs for Utah. And so, so you I'm don't think that's just because much. there weren't enough touches to go around because there's like three great guys in the room. You think like genuinely he was sort of disappointing and he's on the bottom of the pile. Uh, yeah. I don't think he brings very much. Uh, okay. He had fumble issues mm. and also he's not very fast. And the other guys were just better, and this time I think Kevin Thomas is going to be better. I think Jalen Glover is going to be better, 
and Mackay Bernard if they want, like if they want to use him in the rush game, which I'm sure they will at least a little bit. Uh, I think he'll be better too. And so there just won't be a ton of touches now either. So then it's to your mind, the only like question mark that really exists with the running back room is whether or not Ricky Parks is going to be, you know, is going to be part of it or not because he was a true freshman last year. It's not surprising that he didn't get any carries. And so you can't really, you you can neither infer that, 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 you know, he's a bust and you're not going to get anything out of him, nor can you infer, you know, that he's going to be a great running back. Cause like, how would you be able to, he didn't get any carries, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that guy's a question mark, but you, you feel that you've got, Thomas Glover and Bernard's roles sort of sussed out and everybody else is a walk on Glover. I think is a little bit more of a mystery just because we haven't seen in a game. Sure. Whittingham will actually play him. I think, I think Glover's season might look a little bit, maybe not in terms of production, but in terms of like role, it might look a little bit like how Ty Jordan's did in 2020 where Mm -hmm. uh, he started out third or fourth back by the end, he was number one. I don't think he'll ever overtake Tavion Thomas this year, but I do think his role will be small to start the season and bigger later, but that's still a guess. That's still a question. I'm sure he'll have a role, though, whereas I'm not sure Ricky Parks will. It's interesting because, you know, the the body type for Glover is so different from everybody else in the room, right? Because he's he's a he's a short, thick dude, right? Like he's mm-hmm. five seven two eleven. Like he weighs yeah. more than uh, Bernard does. And Bernard yeah. has, you know, five, five inches, inches on him. On him. You yeah. know, uh, it's it, you know, I, I, I totally understand that the have Bernard move around and sort of play slot and, and, and kind of be a rover role. I totally understand that comment. But like, no way is that Glover. Glover is the thumper you know and, yeah, glovers and, are running back <laughs> and, and and thumpers is true freshman you know it's like i understand what you're saying usually you need a little bit of time mm-hmm. with that type of running back to to get up to speed you know no pun intended you know like yeah i could see it towards the end of the year all right let's talk about the tight ends to me i think you know it was very significant that uh they got the transfer of dalton kincaid last year i think that was sort of like maybe uh, probably the second most important like transformation that Utah got, you know, uh, mm-hmm. compared to previous teams because it let Andy Ludwig, um, who I got to be honest, don't have warm feelings about cause I was watching him in Austin stadium for all those years and doing exactly <laughs> this, like a bunch of 13 personnel when he didn't have three tight ends, all of a sudden he has three, you know, tight ends who can really catch the ball, you know, Brant Keithy, um, Cole Fotheringham, both of those guys have been around forever. And then Dalton Kincaid was like the third kind of heat. Mm-hmm. that got that got added let me stop there do you agree with that assessment uh yeah dalton kincaid was huge last year i was i i mean like i think there was a moment in every single game where i was just like thank god we have dalton kincaid he has like he's so good <laughs> and like so much of this offense went through the tight ends um mm-hmm. you know is the other thing which like shouldn't surprise anybody who's been a long time andy ludwig you know and, and like we're gonna talk about the wide receivers in a minute but i think it'll be i think with some of the losses that they're experiencing in wide receiver maybe you disagree we'll talk about it but i'm just laying my cards on the table here like i think with some of the losses at wide receiver that the the offense is going to want to double down even more on the tight ends and that being my basic theory it sort of makes me think hmm what happens when fatheringham leaves and it's just keithy and kincaid like is there a third guy who can step in and be that you know third dude that ludwig apparently really needs is that thomas yasmin is there anybody who's going to do it what do you think greg 
Yeah, so the first thing I've got to say is Brent Keithy might not really be a tight end this year. He spent all of spring with the wide receivers. Hmm. And apparently this year, like, uh, he's going to be more of a receiver. And, like, he's still kind of a tight end. But, but like, like the split out, like he's perpetually, you know, playing out there and not so much blocking. Mm-hmm. I don't um, expect, yeah, I don't expect him to do a lot of blocking this year. I, th- I think it'll be much more like even if he's still like kind of a tight end i expect his role to be much more as a pass catcher even than it was last year yeah i think that's going to be the biggest change to the room uh obviously cold fatheringham leaving means another guy's got to step up yeah yasmin i mean there have been good things people have said about him uh i don't know like if it's true or not just because i've never seen him at all uh, yeah. they got in a new transfer i think they got in a few transfers this year the most notable of which I think was, uh, I think Landon Morris. Right. From Syracuse. Uh, yep. From Syracuse, who was like a wide receiver, tight end hybrid coming out of high school. I don't think he ever played for yeah, Syracuse I didn't think, last I, year. I didn't have any stats recorded and he's had two years at, at Syracuse, although one of them was the COVID year. Yeah. So, uh, as I understand that, uh, there was like a, uh, <laughs> misunderstanding of what his role on the team would be like in terms of what they'd be asking him to do which is why he entered the portal in August. Hmm. Utah seemed pretty like excited to get him in, and so I kind of wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy that takes the third tight end spot instead of Yasmin. But hmm. there has also been a lot of positive talk about Yasmin in that spot too. And there's also um, Isaac Vaha, who was a recruit from the 2021 class, I think. Uh, he's also a basketball player. Hmm. He doesn't play for Utah's team, but like he was a basketball player in uh, high school. And uh, I could see him getting the spot too. He had a broken leg last year. So if he was going to uh, play, he didn't get a chance. I did not know that. That's... He could be a factor uh, for uh, that third spot too, but I don't expect whoever's in that spot to have as much production as Fotheringham did last year, even. Uh, or anything close to what Kincaid or Keithy well, have this year. Fathering him's, you know, production wasn't, you know, it's less than the other guys, but mm-hmm. like, he, I still think he was super valuable. Oh, he was um, incredibly valuable. Yeah. The and, blocking and, alone. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like denigrate this team at all. Cause like, I, you know, I, like you, I, I definitely think this team, you know, is, it, it should be considered, you know, a favorite in just about every game that they play. But like it, it's been very clear to me how important the tight end unit is, you know, and like, I kind of find myself scratching my head looking at this, you know, cause like, uh, you know, Keithy and Kincaid don't got to, you know, convince me of anything, but like, it's kind of a big question mark for the rest of it. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, the other transfer that they took in was Logan Kendall um, from the FCS ranks, but he's totally a fullback. Um, yeah. And, you know, they also got a, a transfer last year, Muneer McLean from USC. Um, yeah, that's right that's an you know that his whole story at usc is really bizarre mm-hmm. um but like yeah none of these guys got catches right like it was just those it was just keithy kincaid and fatheringham last year like we know nothing about yasmin or vaha or mclean or uh uh Puditao, you know one of the million Puditaos on this team it's you know it's just an absolute and total question mark and then what you're telling me with this was news and like very interesting it, you know if keithy's not you know 
if Keithy's sort of, you know, playing the, the, the split out tight end, you know, role now that like, you know, if he's the Mike Gusecki on Penn state, you know, kind of dude where like, mm, I'm not, yeah. try- not trying to take anything away from like his, him as a receiving threat, but like that, you know, the whole point of a tight end is that you don't know what he's going to do, right? Like that's, that's the whole thing about a tight end is you don't know if he's going to start blocking or if he's going to release and run downfield. And if like you split him out all the time, you're sort of like, you're, you're kind of like tipping the hand. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, you know, I, I could, you know, I, I could see this unit being suddenly going from like a strength to something somewhat problematic, you know, if they're not able to answer that question um, of like who the third guy is going to be, and because the third guy is really going to have to step up if Keithy, you know, is, is doing, as you say, and sort of moving outside. Um, like, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? You think that's a, a reasonable fear? I think it is a reasonable fear except that uh like it's a reasonable fear and that the third guy definitely has to step up the thing with that uh that position is like i feel like if you ask utah they'll say it's their deepest position except for maybe linebacker Mm. uh they've been just like swallowing every tight end they can find and after (laughs) getting kincaid from uh san diego uh in the fcs like i have a lot more faith in their ability to uh to pick guys out, you know? Yeah, I know. He comes, he came out of nowhere. You know, Kincaid was un, unrated out of high school, played for an FCS team. The fact that he's like now an NFL prospect tight end, you know, blindsided everybody, you know, you're totally right. And like, it is sort of remarkable. This room is almost entirely constructed out of transfers though, right? Like Kincaid totally, was a transfer. Yasmin was a Juco. Yeah. Baja's the only guy I can remember signing out of high school. Yeah. Uh, and like maybe it's him that steps up. Uh, I think it'll probably be Yasmin, but I don't know. The thing is, when they say that uh, Keithy's moving outside more, I bet he will be outside a lot more than he was last year, but I'm expecting it to be more how they used him in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, where he was like, I don't know, a lot like they used Covey last year, except he's much bigger than Covey. Like sure. uh, jet sweeps, he had a lot of those. Uh, they line him up outside. They line him up closer. I think he will be in a different place on a lot of plays, just as a try, like as a way to kind of confuse the defense. You know, like you just even if he's lined up outside, he might be rushing, uh, or he might just move back in. Yeah, that's right. Keithy takes uh, like sweet plays. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do that a lot last year, I think, because Covey was back, and mm-hmm. so you can just give those plays to Covey, and Covey is faster than Keithy, so it makes sense. Uh, but with Covey gone, I'm expecting Keithy to go back to doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm still pretty excited about what the tight ends are going to do this year. I think both Kincaid and Keithy are going to have more production than they did last year, but I totally get where you're coming from with the fear on that third tight end, because if he's not comparable or he doesn't have to be what Cole Fotheringham was last year, but if he can't do at least some of what Cole Fotheringham was doing, it definitely will be a problem for you. Well, it's just interesting because, you know, I feel like I feel like just about every commentator just says, oh, it's Utah. Utah will be Utah again. And like, that's that that's it. They're done mm-hmm. with their homework. And I'm like, man, yeah. there are some potentially big structural changes coming to the passing game, given some of these departures here and some of the question marks. Um, we've we've now talked about it a couple of times. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Britton Covey, you know, is departing. It's sort of hard to believe i believe he's like collecting yeah. a pension Wait, check at this for point. real he's he's not yeah i feel like, like the first staff. game he was eligible gonna... for another year but really? he decided 
He actually was, yeah. Oh my god. I wish yeah, I, I feel like this that. is gonna be like a wrestling thing where like the first game he's gonna come out and you know he's been wearing a mask and it's like yes. <laughs> yeah. Kobe <laughs> from uh, the top rope. So he's gone, and as as you have been talking about, like Covey's not just oh he's a wide receiver, he catch passes, you know, like mm-hmm. not nah, his role is he's a Swiss Army knife, you know, in that and he was huge offense. Last year. And it, it's sort of like it affects the rest of the office and like how you you know deploy certain you know other players. You know, we've been talking about it with Keithy, um, and it's sort of like it it ratchets up the pressure to make a bunch of replacements and structural changes. You know, uh, losing both Keithy and Fotheringham. You know, in that sense, and we've already talked about a couple of them in terms of like you know Mika Bernard and and Brand Keithy sort of moving around. On top of that, they're also losing Theo Howard, the the guy who played for like four different high schools or foreign colleges, um, because he's also or a Swiss Army knife, you know, kind of receiver. Losing uh, Connor O'Toole, who had that sort of dramatic role in in, in the the last game, uh, in in that he is being converted to defensive lineman now. Yeah, it was a surprise when I saw that. <laughs> um, a, a couple other guys who didn't really play, but it's sort of like remarkable how many departures there are in this room. You have Ben Renfro and Ryan Peppins, um, Darren Young Smith, Dominique Thompson, uh, who I believe was like a, a spring game hero at one point. Uh, Kyrese Rowan, who was playing in the 2022 spring game, you know, is, is no longer. I think Ryan Peppins, I, I don't know if he actually made it to the spring game. He, yeah was a 2022 signing and uh, ended up entering the transfer portal. I think he transferred to Grambling State because he had a kid. I think they yeah. wanted to be closer to home. Yeah, it's is remarkable. I believe he was the, the the first 2022 kid to transfer. You know, mm-hmm. you know, right away. It was you know kind of crazy. Um, so you know, a, a lot of departures in the wide receiver room, and the wide receiver room was already not that big. Like just sort of the yeah. nature of an Andy Ludwig offense is they just don't put a whole lot of wide receivers on the field. Yeah. And like with the exception of sort of the Swiss Army knife of Covey that we've talked about, like boy, I just you know, I, I said it already, like this offense really went through the tight ends and the, the wide receivers. And I've been set writing about this for Utah for a while now, like they have wide receivers. They're not terrible wide receivers, but the wide receivers are not like central to the offense. Um, yeah. And I think that's going to continue to be the case in 2022. Before we get to the actual people in the room, what do you think about that theory? I totally agree. I think if anything, the tight ends are going to have more receiving yards this mm. year than they did last year. Like I just, I don't see Andy Ludwig going to the receivers a ton yeah. this year and nothing with the way the roster looks like now, like looks like right now suggests that they're going to be a huge part of the offense. So, and, and I think maybe the most telling part about that is, okay, here were the guys uh, who were returners last year and will be returners again in 2022. They brought back Solomon Enos again. Mm-hmm. They brought back Jalen Dixon again. They brought back Money Parks. I remember they were really excited about getting in 2020. Um, uh, Makai Cope um, uh, again, but all of those guys were outpaced. I think all of those guys combined had fewer yards than Devon Vele, mm-hmm. who was a walk-on and younger than all of them. He came into the 2019 class. Um, yeah. Or he's younger than Enos and Dixon anyway, I should say. Like, you know, I expect Donovan, or excuse me, Devon Vele to be like the number one wide receiver. He he's definitely going to be uh, unless there's some wild transfer that happens. And uh, just to round out like the, the report on the room, there's three other true freshmen that they took, but I believe none of them were on campus for spring. They're coming in the fall. Um, they're all mid three stars, uh, Sydney, uh, Banasaur, uh, Tao Johnson and uh, Chris Reed. Right. But I don't expect any of those guys to play a role this yeah. year. So 
yeah, I I wouldn't either. Uh, not not doesn't seem to be Kyle Whittingham style. Um, yeah, no, I, I sort of think it's like okay, you know, on, on the one hand, I think we just sort of know who the wide receiver core is going to be. It's going to be Valley, Enos, uh, Dixon, and Parks. That's going to be it. And that I think Andy Ludwig is satisfied with that because he's sort of like, oh yeah, we have to have wide receivers. Like, I mean, if Andy Ludwig had his brothers, I think he'd have like six tight ends on the field. Like the 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 quarterback would just be another tight end who throws to other tight ends. Like, <laughs> absolutely, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think that's sort of like the wide receiver is sort of open and shut. I, I think that you're probably right that the tight ends wind up getting an even greater share of the yards because there's no Britton Covey, who is sort of a unique dude in, in in this offense. And I don't think there's another Britton Covey. I think, as you have mentioned, you know, they're sort of like trying to force other guys to be the Britton Covey type role in, in yeah. the form of Bernard and Keith. And those so, guys aren't receivers. Right. All right. That's interesting. Let's uh, talk about the offensive line. We were talking a little bit before you started recording and, and you and I were both in total agreement that the biggest like transformation for Utah in 2021 was that their offensive line got a lot better. It's kind of remarkable because in 2020, Jim Harding, the longtime offensive line coach, like shook up the offensive line like three times, like, uh, mm -hmm. and, and like, you know, they, in 20, like, okay. So 2019, they go to the conference championship game in 2020, they were bringing back, I believe five out of the six dudes who were playing on that line. And so it was like, oh, good stability. They'll incrementally improve, you know, but that's not what happened in 2020 at all. They really shook up the line several times. I think part of what happened there was the entire offensive line got COVID. Yeah. Uh, which is why Utah missed two games. I think the, in my opinion, the best guy who came out of the 2020 season was the right guard. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best right guards, you know, in the conference. Um, and just nobody talks about him. That's uh, Satoa uh, Laumea. Mm -hmm. I think he's he grades out very well on my tally sheet. Um, the uh, the the other interesting ones, are, frankly, I think the the two best guys that they had playing for them, other than Laumea, who returns, um, are the two departures, who are mm -hmm. Bam Deliolaseni and uh, who was playing left tackle, um, and Nick Ford, who was playing center. I think I was more impressed by Braden Daniels than I was by Laumea. Really, I think part of my thing with Braden Daniels is that. Uh, when the offensive line got better, mm -hmm. he had a big thing to do with it. Like, you mean uh, him improving? Not just him improve. Like he got moved. Uh, That's right. He wasn't. He was originally playing guard. In fact, it was a bad block that he totally whiffed on in you against USC in 2020 that got Cam Rising hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the beginning wow. of this year, the offensive at the beginning of 2021, I should say, the offensive line was even worse than it had been in 2020. Mm -hmm. And Harding switched it up again, and Brain Daniels was suddenly like a really good player. Yeah, I mean, you never see that. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a unicorn. Like, hey, let's switch a guard to a tackle who had been really problematic at a guard, and um, he's going to be a great tackle. Like that's a, <laughs> you know, that's it's hard to believe. It really like it was shocking to me uh, when the offensive line was suddenly good, and he had a huge part to deal with it. Like. From then on, I was consistently impressed by him. So maybe he wasn't quite as good as those other three guys, but it was it just stood out a little bit more to me because it was like surprising. The, the, the most Im the most improved player award goes to Brain yeah, Daniels. goes to Brain Daniels for sure. And you know, I expect him to be good again this year. I think Utah expects him to be really good this year. Uh, they also expected Bamadele Olosini to be a lot better than he was, so I don't know how well, much sure. to... Well, sure. It was kind of weird watching him in 2019 because he came in for that Washington game for a couple of drives because somebody oh, was hurt. That was a nightmare. 
Yeah, it, it, and it was so bad that they put the hurt guy back in. Um, yeah, and, and, and I mean, Olaseni's like built like you know he's like built in the lab to be a tackle, yeah. and it was just like shocking how ineffective he was in 2019, and then here he is in 2021 playing for the championship team. Anyway, uh, let's see if we can sort out who the new starting line is going to be. As we said, uh, Olaseni, the left tackle, and Ford, the center, have departed. Mm-hmm. They're bringing back uh, Keaton Bills at left guard. He's been around forever. They're bringing back Lomea, who like I, I you know I said I. I think is pretty good at right guard. They're bringing back Braden Daniels, who uh, you were just saying is, is great at right tackle. I have a hard time figuring out the the, the tackle in the center replacement, though. Uh, you know, the the guys who I was seeing in the spring game were sort of not the the particularly highly rated guys or the particularly experienced guys. And there were a bunch of transfers out, right? Maris Talavu, who was a borderline four star, was playing in the spring game. Uh, he's transferred out now. Uh, Luke Felix Fuolo has uh, transferred out. Simi Mwala or Orlando Umana have both left. Those guys were playing on that 2019 championship team. Let me stop there. Have I got all that right? Uh, I think Orlando Umana transferred out the year before. Yeah, but, okay. But at uh, any rate, he's not available that, now. Yeah. Um, boy, I have a hard time solving the puzzle of who the 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 new left tackle and center are going to be. What's your guess? So I think there are three guys for those two spots. Uh, center is pretty simple. I think it's going to be Palmile, or I'll be shocked if it's not him. Uh, he played center actually, I think at like three or four games last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought he did a great job. Uh, Utah's offensive line played great with him there. The big problem was snaps. Like he snapped yeah. almost over Cam Rising's head a yeah. few times. Yeah, yeah. That's, but, that, uh, that's what I was about to say. And it was one of the reasons why I <laughs> thought that he wasn't really an option at center, but you're saying, no, they're going to the, go with them. The blocking was good enough that I'm assuming it's going to be him. And I've like, I haven't heard. Any other names for that spot specifically? I'll tell you this about uh, snapping over a QB's head. Um, that used to happen to Herbert a lot, and it gave him a lot of practice at it. He got really good at it. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> that's how I feel about Cam. Yeah, right. Like, no, I've, I've got year, clips of like... Justin Herbert jumping into the air, catching a high snap, and performing his RPO read while he's airborne. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, if you can do that, man. Yeah, I don't know if Cam was doing quite that, but I was very impressed by the way he would leap into the air and uh, <laughs> escape the nose tackle who was right there or the defensive end who was right there. Uh, weird thing is Nick Ford had a few really bad snaps late in the year too. I wonder yeah. what's going on with that. Uh, anyway, I expect Paul Miley to be the starting center. And then for left tackle, I think it's going to be – well, what could happen is I assume Jaron Kump is going to be the guy that steps into the starting lineup. However, he might be playing right tackle and they might move Braden Daniels to the left side. Okay. Uh, but I'm assuming it's going to be Jaron Kump that moves and uh, into the starting lineup. He was starting, uh, I think he was starting at the beginning of 2021. He got hurt. Right. He also played some games, I think, in 2020. Utah really likes him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll be moderately surprised, I guess, if it's not him, uh, either at left or right tackle. Kind of just hope they put him in at left tackle because it feels like playing with fire to expect another move for Braden Daniels to work super well. And Jaron Kump has played on the left side. Yeah. Like his his whole football playing life, I guess, as far as I know. He was in high school and he has been since he's been at Utah. So kind of hope it's Jaron Kump in that left spot. But if Braden Daniels can do it, it'll probably be Kump on the right. But my lane Kump 
are the names that make most sense. Yeah, it's just interesting because I don't believe that I saw them during either of those two during the spring game. And so it was, do you, was I missing something or are they being held out with like a minor injury or what was the deal? I think with Utah, I don't think they play their <laughs> offensive linemen during spring very often. Mm. Uh, I think it, they just don't want to like risk uh, injuries or anything in that game because I don't know, just like Utah's had a lot of medical retirements. Yeah. At offensive line, I think they're very skittish with it. Uh, like I know last year, Nick Ford didn't play in the spring game, uh, and mm-hmm. at that point, he was a lot better than certainly Jaron Kump and also probably Braden Daniels is right now. But I, I don't think offensive linemen not playing in the spring game really means anything. Fair enough. The difficult thing with you know sort of uh, what was going on in the Utah spring game is that usually the spring game is when I when I get to get eyes on the who the backups might be and how ready they might be to play. And, you know, I wasn't seeing Kump and uh, Miley. Um, instead, uh, you know, what I was seeing was guys who, boy, I got to be honest, I didn't think they were ready to play against Pac-12 opponents. Um, you know, uh, 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 and, and and Williams and Harrison and Cal Matele and uh, Togiai. The, you know, I was seeing those guys play at tackle and center and they were just getting whipped uh, mm-hmm. by by the defensive line, uh, you know, um, I guess I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I will buy it on Kump and Miley because they have played in the past that, you know, that you can slot those guys in and let's say that Miley's fixed, you know, the crazy, you know, snapping issues. And let's say that they, you know, figure out how to get the, you know, the tackle thing all sorted. You know, I, I, I can count to five, you know, guys who seem, you know, reliable enough. I, I can't get to six or seven is sort of Neither my can issue. I. <laughs> and, and I would be worried that, that, that we're looking at another 2019 again in terms of the offensive line where like somebody gets hurt like you know either you know some of these replacements are not quite what you're hoping them to be or hey they are but then somebody got hurt and oh my god the backups because like nobody has any experience right mm-hmm. you know compromise later the only guys as far as i can tell you know who have some experience here and they're going to be used as new starters and so it's sort of like I guess we'll find out, you know, if anybody's ready to play, because like the spring game is not super informative on that question. So I, I sort of feel like this is a, a, you know, a, a situation like we were talking about with the quarterback where it's like, okay, we, we know who the starter is going to be. There are so many questions at backup that like, Oh boy, one tweaked ankle. And there could be, you know, real problems with the offensive production, you know, because as you and I both agreed on, like the offensive line playing at a high caliber was like, that was the key to Utah season. Um, and if, that hasn't happened in 2022 i you know i i'd be real worried what do you think about that take greg i'm uh offensive line is my biggest worry going into the year uh mm-hmm. for the, exactly the reasons you said like an injury could really hurt the thing that i'm a little hopeful with is like there were some injuries late last season like the reason Miley was playing at the end of the year there was very little drop off i felt like in terms of uh the overall play of the offensive line this year, they don't have Nick Ford who can play any position on the line, which is going to hurt a lot. And right. uh, I have no idea what to think of the guys behind. So if an injury happens, I'm not optimistic. Yeah, it, It's mm-hmm. just it's a huge question mark. I mean, it may be that Jim Harding, the offensive line coach, you know, has somebody in his hip pocket that he just hasn't shown yet and then we're, you know we're all like yeah. oh hey you know he had it done uh you know it's just like we don't know who that guy is or if he even exists the big reason to be more hopeful than 2019 is that 2019's line was not deep at all because they like as mm-hmm. i said earlier utah's had a lot of medical retirements 
and a lot of those guys would have been either playing on the 2019 line or been on the two deep. Whereas it's like the line now is more deep than it was. Like they've had more time to build it up. And so while we haven't seen those guys, theoretically they should be better. But like you said, big question mark. I mean, yeah, theoretically. I mean, that's where, you know, some of the guys that I think you'd be counting on though, you know, we're, we're talking about like 2021 recruits and that's sort of why I, I let off talking about like, you know, Talavu and Felix Fualolo and Simi Walla like transferring out because, you know, I think those transfers hurt in the sense that those guys were relatively, um, like they, they had yeah. more time in the system, you know, like those, those would be guys that I would be looking towards to be, you know, backups and instead they hit the portal. And, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I guess I, I'm with you in, in that sense. Like I'd be a little worried. What's your, I guess I'm curious about this. It feels like a lot of Utah fans are divided on, on, you know, Jim Harding, uh, you know, his sort of lifetime tenure at Utah. Uh, there's even an, been, I've heard some suggest that like Troy Taylor before he was officially, uh, you know, off to the FCS that Jim Harding was really the one calling the offense for a good chunk of Utah season. What, uh, what's, what are your thoughts about, uh, Jim Harding and, I I don't buy that he was the one calling the offense while Troy Taylor was here because, uh, I don't Mm -hmm. know, he was here before Troy Taylor. The offense looked completely different with Troy Taylor, at least to my eyes, it did. And the offense changed again completely when Troy Taylor left. And I get that, like, maybe that was just Jim Harding's role changing, but I really don't think it Mm -hmm. was. I've never been a fan of Jim Harding. I think he has, uh, (laughs) I think he has gotten far too much goodwill from one really, really good offensive line that Utah had. I think it was 2016 draft. All five of them got drafted Mm -hmm. since then. Our offensive lines have not been good until 2021. So I just don't have a ton of faith in him. And while everyone around the program seems to think he's great, it could just be like, you know, the medical retirements and all that really hurt Utah and he's done a great job. I'm skittish. (laughs) Like, I really desperately mm-hmm. wanted him fired last year. Now I don't really desperately want him fired, but I'm also not back on the Harding train. Well, I mean, you know, Witt's got to fire somebody on the offense <laughs> every year, right? You know, uh, it, I mean, I'm not joking about that. He is, he has literally fired somebody on the offensive line or on the offensive side. Yeah, of the ball 2021 like offseasons, I think the first time he hasn't done it. <laughs> but I mean, he's running out because I mean, he ain't, he ain't going to fire his buddy Andy Ludwig. He's not going to fire the tight ends coach. Um, he just fired, he just hired a former player as the running back coach. So, you know, he's he's not going to fire Jim Harding. I don't really care about the question about whether or not he was, you know, calling the offense. I, I just, you know, meant mm-hmm. that. I only brought it up in the sense that, like, he seems like he's part of the winning him inner circle whose job is permanently safe. And it's like, well, who else is he going to fire? Yeah, I you mean, know? <laughs> like, I don't know that uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if he fired Harding if the 2021 offensive line had continued to play like it did at the beginning of the year. You think that Harding was playing for his job last year? Well, here's the thing. The 2020 offensive, like I said earlier, uh, the beginning of the year last year, the offensive line was the worst I've ever seen it. I don't know how you keep Mm. a guy around after it's that bad. Uh, And it was just so clearly the worst position group on the team during that time. On the other hand, I, I don't see how you fire somebody after they win the conference for the first time ever and light up well, the now Rose he Bowl can't do it. Like... Exactly. I, I sort of, you know, I, this is where I was going with this. Uh, is it sort of like, I feel like maybe he's a little trapped with Harding, you know, like he can't just by firing him. But on the other hand, if you look at the long sweep of, of Harding's career, like it's kind of 
yeah, you know, it, it's a little unimpressive. And I don't know, he might, might be stuck with the guy. I don't know. He, you know, having said all of this, he's now going to turn in the greatest offensive line season that we've ever seen, right? Like uh, us trash talking him is just, gonna, he's going to listen mm-hmm. to this podcast. If I doubt hard enough, it'll be good. Just like last year. I remember last year I said, I will not believe Utah is good mm. until I have proof that the offensive <laughs> line is good. And now you're sold forever. Like now you're, you're just well, no. little red glasses. Now I'm like, now I'm not sold on the offensive line. I just think the Pac-12 sucks. Oh boy, you're not going to get any resistance from me on this one. Let me <laughs> let me tell you, brother. Like I, I do all these previews, and I'm like, holy sh- <laughs> Nikes this is a bad conference. Like, I don't know if there are any defensive lines that are going to make the offensive line like they are going to punish the offensive yeah. line quite like Oregon did in 2019. Uh, yeah, it's Oregon's defensive line should be good. It's kind of I remarkable. Mean, I mean, I've been doing all like all of these previews of all these teams where it's like, oh, so you run a three down front without a nose tackle, huh? I, I wonder how that's going to go. You know, <laughs> like, I'm sure it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of, let's switch over, talk about the defense and start with the defensive line. Utah, unlike most of the teams in the Pac-12, runs a four down front. Uh, I think there are actually only three teams in the, the, the Pac-12 that do. And, and one of them is, wow. is Wazoo and like they hardly count. <laughs> so let's split them up and talk about the tackles first. And I think actually Utah has separate coaches for the tackles in the ends, don't they? Uh, they do. Uh, I believe it is Lewis Powell for the ends. And, and there's uh, a new one. Uh, uh, tackles, Luther though. Ellis. Yeah. Former player, one of the best Utah players of all time. He's going to be coaching the tackles. He was at Idaho mm-hmm. before this. Uh, I'm still a little skeptical of the hire. I feel like where we're at, we should probably be able to do better than former players. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, thus far, Utah's recruiting of the tackle position, like we're getting better guys in for visits than we ever have before since he's been here. So like, maybe I should just eat my words. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I, I, like, well, I, I don't think, uh, at least for 2022, if Ellis turns out to secretly stink and he was a nepotism uh-huh. hire, it shouldn't make a difference you, in this. You're year, not going to yeah. notice. Yeah. Cause they, you know, they, well, they lost, you know, one of, I think a starter, they, they're rotating a little bit, uh, a, a tackle, um, how to put one of, again, mm-hmm. I believe there were four Puchitao brothers on the, on the, the roster. Puchitao's is very confusing. Yeah. yeah how is the one that's gone now. Right. Uh, I think Tennessee might have been playing a little bit more than Howie by the end of the year, mm-hmm. but I can't be sure. Well, the uh, the stats don't reflect that, but it's you know okay. Uh, but but sort of the nature of a four down front is that sometimes the mm-hmm. the, the stats are a little confusing on that. Anyway, uh, that guy's out. Also, Viani Moala, um, you yeah. Know, also, um, although he, I think he was limited a bit last year. He had a season-ending injury. Yeah, that that really sunk. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, those guys are out. Um, You know, if if he's a great recruiter, we haven't seen it yet because I believe they only pulled in one guy who I would tab as being um, a defensive tackle, which is uh, uh, Dallas Bakalahi. And I don't think and I didn't get to see him in the spring. I think he's coming in in the fall. And and he's yeah, the tackle class last. Well, I mean, just the entire class last year, I think, was basically done, at least at that position Mm. by the time he got in. Yeah. And so we'll have to see going forward. But anyway, for 2022, uh, bringing back the rest of the tackles, um, you know, Junior Tafuna, you know, who was by far the leader. Absolutely. Uh, Devin Kafusi, the the BYU transfer, uh, Aliki Vamahi, um, one of the millions of Puditaos, Tennessee. Um, 
and there's there were a couple other uh, redshirt freshmen who should be coming online uh, at this point Samodi Peppa and um and Tavita Fotu I think there's other couple other guys in the room there's there's a lot of dudes in this room you know you you only need like four of them and they have four guys who are experienced so like the extra four are like all gravy mm-hmm. you know not it'll be nine when uh Vakalahi gets on campus like nine is more than you need you know at a defensive tackle yeah. position in a, in a four down front you know they got plenty of dudes here you know I think this unit's going to be nominal like I, i'm not expecting any sort of you know real noticeable step back or anything here right uh yeah that's how i feel i think there will be a step up because those guys will be a year older mm-hmm. normally utah is like get old stay old mm-hmm. at that position because of well, i mean like 2019 you know that whole defense got drafted and it right it changed everything uh and so there was nobody with experience in 2020. Yeah, but that meant that those 2020 dudes got, got a bunch of, you know, you know, Tafuna, yeah. Vamahi, and Tennessee. Um, all three of those guys are 2020s, right? Yeah, and so, like, in 2021, they were younger than Utah normally plays their guys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm expecting a little bit of a step up this year sure. just because of that. But other than that, I think it'll be pretty much what it was last year. On the other hand, the ends, the ends look weird to me. So uh, the most notable uh, departure is Mika Defua, of course. Mm-hmm. They also, I'm not sure when he left, but I, I at this point, Max Dupai is not on the team, right? Yeah. They lost Blake Keithy, which is interesting because he's the younger brother of Brant Keithy. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what that, that's unusual. I think they actually started recruiting Brant because they were recruiting Blake. Hmm. And Brant hmm. ended up being huh. a lot better for him. Yeah, that's interesting. I think Blake had a lot of, injury issues but mm. go on yeah um losing a couple other guys who i don't think played but they were 2021 uh, uh, recruits and so it's sort of you know curious that they departed uh viliami puaha and uh johnny fanaika and uh i was just gonna say xavier carl right and that's that's who i was getting to xavier carl oh, okay um who was the four star that i know that they were super excited about um first of all l- l- let me stop there those six departures the, that's it for the defensive ends uh, as far as I can think of, okay. like maybe there's other guys, but I don't think they were sure. significant. I, I think Tafua hurts because he's really good um, and had, you know, kind of the lion's share. Mm-hmm. And then here's the interesting thing. I, I think that Xavier Carlton hopping in the transfer portal made sense to me because the way that he is built is much more like a outside linebacker in a three down system than a defensive end in a four down system. And Utah wanted to move him to tackle, which is why he ended up transferring. I mean, which is nuts. And then he transferred to Cal, <laughs> which is a three down system that totally uses OLBs. And if you watched Cal's spring game, which I, I might be the only human being who watch both of these spring games <laughs> you know it was very clear that that's how cal is using him and i was like okay this totally makes sense that's what makes me really scratch my head about the notable transfer in that utah got which was gabe reed from stanford gabe reed uh i've always liked that guy even though stanford's defense has been a like mm-hmm. slow and then fast burn dumpster fire for the last five years um not his fault <laughs> one of the shining bright spots was gabe reed is the outside linebacker but again, that's an OLB in a three down system. And he's, you know, coming into to Utah. And I'm like, how are they going to use Gabe Reed? G- Xavier Carlton left for exactly this reason. Like, what do you, what do you think about that, Greg? Like, are they going to be able to use Gabe Reed at all? Or, or what's the deal? I am not expecting big things from Gabe Reed. Okay. Uh, just because like the reasons you said, like, I think he's a good player. Uh just don't know that he's a huge fit. I think he moved to Utah because Stanford is a sinking ship sure, and because he knows a lot of people. 
what is at the, Utah. It's like he picked one of two defenses <laughs> in the Pac-12 that like can't use him. Like, it's so he, crazy. <laughs> So I'm, and what's he gonna do with that Stanford yeah. education? You know? <laughs> yeah, I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he'll rotate uh, on the other side of Van Fillinger mm-hmm. for the most part. I think that's what that spot's gonna be. There's not gonna be a permanent starter at the beginning of the year. At least I don't think so. Like they're very, very, very different players. But yeah. uh, when Devin Kafushi came in, he was a defensive end, and Utah didn't start him there, but he got a lot of snaps. Uh, and I'm assuming that's what's going to happen with Gabe Reed. Interesting. Even though like they're very different, and Kafusi ended up moving to tackle. Carlton was going to move to tackle. At least they wanted him to move to tackle. Is because so crazy. His that's frame like, is massive. It, yeah, but he's so, just he's not putting on weight for it. Like he's staying. Yeah. And that's the thing about Gabe Reed is that he's even light. He's he's shorter <laughs> and lighter. You know, he's six two two thirty. You know, like the problem with Carlton was just he wasn't fast enough for Utah, I guess, mm-hmm. to want him to play end. And so they were like, put on weight, move to tackle, because Junior Tafuna put on a like a massive amount yeah. of weight to move to tackle. Yeah. And so <laughs> I guess they're like, if he can do it, you can too. If you want to stay, this is what you're gonna do. So yeah, it's an interesting hokey pokey, and so but returning Van Fillinger, who's the other starter, and that you know that's a good starting point. You know that yeah. that that guy was the other twenty twenty four star. I you know I think he's fine. Um, I kind of have a hard time sorting out the rest of it. I mean, there's some guys with experience. There's Jonah Ellis, you know, who I was a, mm-hmm. you know a backup last year, but you know I, I think and uh, Miki Sukaturga um, or Turaga, both of those guys were sort of the, the rotational dudes in uh, in twenty twenty one. I thought that their athletic ceiling was um notably lower than fillinger and tufua do you think i'm being unfair with uh ellis i don't know i thought he was good but not like like i definitely agree he's not close like he's never gonna be a number one guy whereas i think van fillinger could be i don't i don't think he'll be like say if van fillinger manages to have a season that mika that mika tufua had last year which I'm not expecting, but I also wasn't expecting Mika Tafua to be that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you weren't? I don't think Luther. I, I mean, he was um, one of the one holdovers say, from the, that 2019 defense. Like you, you correctly noted that year. like 2019, everybody left except Mika Tafua. Yeah, after the 2019 year, uh, like Bradley and I was by far like sure. a better player than Mika Tafua was that year, and I was expecting Mika Tafua to like just be static, and he improved a lot to 2020. And so, like, I'm if Van Fillinger makes the same improvement that Mika Tafua made after becoming the number one D end, I'm not expecting Luther, not Luther, the Jonah Ellis, who is Luther Ellis's son, ah. to, uh, yeah, I'm not expecting him to be quite as good as Van Fillinger was last year, but I think he'll be, I'm expecting him to be the guy that starts and gets most of the snaps. I think athletically, he's actually like, I think he's quick. He is not, I don't know, he doesn't have quite the talent that uh, Fillinger does. So I He's also younger, that. too. I mean, he. I believe he was a true freshman last year. Ellis was. I him. had not heard of him before I saw him playing. Mm-hmm. He was a big shock to me. I, and I mean, in the spring game, I know these sort of like thrown a little shade at the, you know, how much can you get from the spring game? But I was just sort of surprised because I was seeing a walk-on, um, Kenan Iono, um, like playing with, you know, pretty early in the game, you know, like I, I, you know, I have a hard time counting before on this one. I mean, it's easy to get to, to mm-hmm. one Fillinger. Um, and you're telling me Ellis is, is the, the guy on the other side of the line, you know, fine. I'll, I'll buy that. But like, who, 
who are the rotational guys? Like there's not a lot of experience that, you know, what about Connor O'Toole, yeah. the wide receiver who has uh, switched over and weighs 210 pounds. Like, is he going to be the guy? Like, and is just a weird spot because like at this point, Utah has like 100% earned my trust. Sure. Cause they just always manage to create production there in a way that doesn't make sense. It's so I feel like I should trust them. I, I mean, I feel but like I that's am... rational and like frees up a lot of time to do for other activities. Um, but like, we don't go by faith on this podcast, man. Like, <laughs> you got to make a guess. You got to tell me who. Uh, you if think I had before. to guess, in like order of minutes or yeah. snaps played, yeah, do uh, it. I'd say Fillinger plays the most. Mm-hmm. Ellis plays the next most. Uh-huh. Reed, I don't know. I just Reed plays more at the beginning of the season than he does at the end. Okay. Uh, and then from there, it's a mystery. Like I could totally see Utah going to a walk-on from that spot just because I mean, they they've might. done it before. They might. But also they got in a, uh, I think he was either the number one or number two recruit out of Hawaii, which isn't saying a ton because Hawaii doesn't have a ton of players, but like Keo Akana. Right. And there was another, I think it's going to take him some time. Yeah. There was, there's two freshmen that they recruited. Akana's one of them. The other was Chase Kennedy. Um, but I don't believe either of them were on campus for spring. Right. Uh, not as far as I know. I think I mean, maybe by the end of the year, Akana gets some snaps, but I, th- I would be shocked if a fourth one, well, I wouldn't be shocked, but I could not tell you who the fourth guy is going to be. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if a guy got more minute, more snaps than Gabe Reed, mm-hmm. but I have no idea who it's going to be. It's just sort of surprising. <laughs> Cause you know, like I, I uh-huh. feel like I, I wasn't even really joking when I said, Oh, it's rational to just believe that they're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And, and this will be fine um, because they've done it before. But on the other hand, like, boy, I, I can't do it. You know, I, 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 it sounds like both of us are sort of stumped. Like, how do you get to four out of this? You know, because like your, your options passed, you know, bracket Fillinger, we all know he's good. We all know he's got a spot, but like Mm -hmm. Ellis is young and a mid three star and potentially a nepotism kid you've got o'toole i don't think he's a nepotism kid because he was here before luther ellis was all right i I was kind of joking i also don't think he's like (laughs) some incredible talent but like the other guys in the room i mean uh, this was sort of like what we were we did we talked about at a couple other positions including like quarterback where it's sort of like okay you know who the starter you know who the number one guy is but like everybody else i sort of got a question or a knock about like ellis hasn't played mm-hmm. that much Su- suga Turaga yeah. hasn't played that much o'toole is a converted wide receiver he's like 40 pounds underweight reed is a converted yeah. outside linebacker from a different system and he's 20 pounds over underweight Wegus hasn't yeah. played iono is a uh walk on akana and kennedy are true freshmen who won't arrive until the fall and that's the end of the room it's just like i mean after fillinger it's sort of like question mark question mark question mark question mark question mark you know what i mean and it's sort of like Mm -hmm. we're not used to that many question marks at an iconic position at utah like defensive end and so it sort of makes me think like hmm maybe the defense is going to have some you know is might be facing a step back here uh what do you think i'm nuts so uh i i don't think the defense is going to take a step back just because I think the other position groups are going to be really good. And I think the tackles are going to be better, mm-hmm. but I also don't expect like, I don't expect the pass rush to be incredible, at least from the ends. Mm-hmm. I think most of the pass rush a lot, kind of like, like kind of like it did with Devin Lloyd last year is going to be coming from the linebackers, uh, maybe from Van Fillinger. Uh, but from that second spot, I'm mostly just hoping 
and it is hoping because I don't know uh, that they are competent replacement level players, you know? Well, let's talk about the linebackers then. Um, losing uh, both of the starters, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. I don't think anything needs to be said about those guys. They're both great. Um, yeah. A couple other departures too. Uh, Trey Reynolds, who got a few backup reps. Uh, Carson Tabarachi, uh, who who was another like 2022, who came in for five minutes and then left. Um, and uh, Jeremy Mercier, uh, the the JUCO. Um, those yeah. are the those are the five departures, correct? Yeah, as again, as far as I can remember. Uh, returning Kareen Reed, uh, who was like, you know, the, the third guy in the rotation last year. Yep. Uh, good to have a um, couple, couple other interesting uh, guys. Um, Hayden Fury, um, who is a walk on, but who is getting like, you know, the fourth most amount of reps. I was seeing him. Kareen Reed was actually also a walk on. Was he? Oh, I, yeah. I, I show him as a 0.81 on, on 247, but well, he, he was one of those walk ons who was rated. Uh, I, he must have been. I know that too many Utah people talked about him being a walk-on for that to be me making it up. <laughs> uh, I, I'll double check it. He's not a walk-on anymore. Uh, yeah, I'd have no doubt with the amount of time that he was getting. So Reed and Fury and Mata, uh, Andrew Mataafa, who I believe is a cousin of Wazoo's Hercules. Um, th- those guys all return with varying amounts of experience. There's also uh, two of the three Calvert brothers. Um uh, Ethan, yes. who was always at Utah, um, he, he was a true freshman last year. There's the Washington transfer, Josh uh, Calvert. Um, Bo, the third brother, is still at UCLA. I kind of have a theory that the entire Calvert family is bad at football um, and are, is overrated. Do you think uh, I'm off base? I thought Ethan was going to be really good. The problem is that uh, something happened with him, like some injury. I still don't know what it was, mm-hmm. but it like might have been career-threatening. I don't really expect to ever see him again. My, uh, that, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, that, but also you might be right about the whole <laughs> family being overrated thing. Uh, I'm not far off. Well, I mean, like that family isn't listeners. I'll just, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like anytime you're excited about a Washington inside linebacker transferring in, I was not super yeah. excited about that. Like, oh boy. You know, and I also sort of think it's a bit of a referendum on the rest of the room that like, you know, Fury and Reed are, you know, walk-ons who were playing ahead of them. I would think that a lot of the hopes for Utah's linebacker core have got to be um, placed on the new faces who are the Florida transfer, uh, uh, Mohamed Diabate, who was, you know, got a bunch of tackles last year. He's a senior. He's a, he was a four-star. Lander Barton, who's a, a four-star, a true freshman. And he did, he was available in the spring. Got to see him in the spring game. And then also Justin Medlock, another true freshman, who's like a borderline, he was like a high three-star almost a four star those are the three new guys in the room did i miss anybody if you missed anybody they aren't someone who was gonna play um i think that despite the fact there you know there's a lot of dudes in this room who are returning you know with you know names that we know like mata afa and calvert that like i think all of them are gonna get jumped by the new guys i think that we're gonna see reed and fury and then some combination of uh diabate uh barton and medlock uh playing in 2022 what do you think i'll be shocked if fury plays Outside of special teams, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Fair enough. I don't think he's good. Reed is really good. I think the fact that he was like last year when he played, he was a bright spot for Utah. Like he wasn't as good as Sewell or Lloyd, of course, because you know not very many people are. But uh, in his moments, he was good. Like I think he was 
defensive freshman of the week a few times last year. He led Utah in tackles a few times last year, or at least once. I think he'll like he's a nailed on starter. And then from there, I think it'll be Diabate who gets the next most snaps. Like he was good at Florida, obviously. Sure. Or at least he got a lot of tackles at Florida. Not sure how good he actually was, you know, because tackles can be misleading. That's true, and I I got to admit I haven't done any film study on Florida either, so I, we'll we'll be yeah. finding that one out together. But I I, I don't have Utah any, seems to like him. I I, I don't so, have any difficulty at all believing that he steps in and becomes the starter right away. And the guy who I expect to get the next most is Lander Barton. Yeah. Uh, because in high school he was great. Uh, he was like I think. On three, almost had him as a five-star. They might have actually had him as a five-star. 24-7, I think he was in the top 100. But overall, very, very good player. Apparently in spring, he has continued to be great. I'm expecting him to maybe not start, but I'm expecting him to play. And I think Utah really likes Medlock also. Those would be the top four yeah. for me. I don't think Mata Afa or Fury are going to play a ton. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I see it too. Um uh, I think that they're going to go to the new guys, you know, right away. And, and that um, I'm actually surprised there haven't been more transfers out, um, you know, and, and there, there, mm-hmm. there were already a couple. Um, and, oh, yeah. And I didn't even mention the Calverts, like maybe yeah. Josh Calvert gets in there because, but like, like I said, I don't know if Ethan's ever going to play again. And so I'm not going to say him, but also I don't know if Josh Calvert's good. And so I'm more inclined to bet on the new guys. Well, the other new guys. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh, you know, and but then the, the thing is about the new guys is that they're new guys. You know, we haven't really gotten yeah, eyes true. on them. You know, like it, we're sort of, you know, I, I would I would anticipate you know this being a, a more than serviceable you know linebacking group. But you know, they've certainly earned the benefit of the doubt. It's just like. What you know, they're you're look, there's just no way of getting around it. They're replacing Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell, you know. Yeah, it's gonna be a step down. Like even if they're even if the new guys are fantastic, it's gonna be a step down. All right, let's talk about the defensive backs. It looks like um bringing back everybody at cornerback looks like losing a lot of production at safety. So uh at safety, they're losing Brandon McKinney, who was the Washington transfer, uh, who would be, he would mm. become a starter, losing Vontae Davis, uh lo- losing a backup, uh Latu, bringing back Cole Bishop, and um, and then I've got listed Zamaya Vaughn as a safety, even though last year he was filling in at cornerback. Do I have all that right? Yeah, so he He's very confusing because Utah's secondary situation was wild last year. It sure was. I think he's a safety. Like, I think he came to Utah as a safety, but the corner situation was such that he moved to corner last year. Mm-hmm. At least he played corner last year. No idea what he's going to do this year, but I guess they're probably thinner at safety, so maybe he plays safety. Well, I mean, I think I can name, you know, assuming that they want to play in nickel defense, I think I can name the five starters without any real difficulty. I think it's going to be Phil, Phillips, Mataele, uh, Marks, Bishop, and Vaughn, right? Um, I think Broughton's better than Marks. Really? Okay. Was he yeah, injured I mean, or he something was, last year? He uh, had a season-ending yeah, shoulder that's right. injury. Okay, I'm remembering this now. Yeah. Yeah, he was all Pac-12 in 2020. Right, 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 right. I don't right. know if he was, like, high-level all Pac-12. I can't remember what was, but, like, he was very good in 2020. I'm still very high on him. Like, I think he'll be... If in my fantasy scenario where Utah moves Clark Phillips to the slot and uh I think that's what they should have done. Uh I, I agree. Yeah. If if Utah did that and played Broughton and Marks on the outside, I think they'd be putting Broughton on the number one receiver. 
Yeah, I think for the most, like you just switch in Broughton for Marks. That's probably what the starting five is going to be. I'm, no. I mean, I thought the set set Clark Phillips aside for a second because I think yeah. he's pretty good and lived up the billing. I yeah. wasn't wild about the rest of. I mean, frankly, I wasn't wild about Utah secondary, um, other than Phillips and Cole Bishop, um, who is playing Bishop like boundary safety. He's a hell of a talent. Was fantastic. Yeah, when I, he played, I, yeah. I, I should have said bracket Phillips and, and Bishop both, uh, but the rest of it, um, which which included a bunch of dudes, because as you say that there were there were injuries and they had to rotate dudes. I wasn't really wild about any of them. I wasn't really wild about Matt to LA. Um, I didn't see much of Broughton, as you say, he got injured. I agree with you about Marks. I thought the Vaughn was sort of weakness i believe that guy was a walk-on and then i sort of didn't see anybody else you know the fact that utah went to a running back before they went to lacarea pleasant johnson or kane savage feel like says a lot about those two guys yeah and why they haven't played well pleasant johnson's transferred out um oh right has he yeah and and, uh but yeah well i and i think we know why and i you know i think i we know why savage you know is getting pushed down on the depth chart you know here i don't know it's sort of like an overview to the secondary like uh, again uh uh, i mean I've been trying to avoid this comparison this whole podcast, but like, I don't think the secondary in 2021 was the secondary they had in 2019. The 2019 secondary was the best secondary Utah's ever had, probably the best it'll ever have. Uh, Like those guys were fantastic. I I think Um, that Phillips and Bishop were on that level. Like, I, I don't want to uh, make yeah, direct yeah. comparisons, but I think if those yeah, guys, I know what you mean, though. if they swapped like, in, if they hopped in a time machine and swapped in for the 2019 team, I don't think you'd be like, oh, these guys are out of place, you know, like, they, yeah. you know, but I don't think you could say that for the rest of the crew. Uh, I think Broughton could, I I like Broughton and Marks, okay. uh, Marks less than Broughton. I do not like Mata Ele at all. I think he is an incredible weak link. I like I'm, Smith and Jigba, that one is showed up. On, that one showed up in my film review of Utah as well. I, I, I in <laughs> fact, I specifically was writing about that Oregon should be attacking Mata LA and Vaughn. You know, when he had to sub in on the mm-hmm. other cornerback spot. So yeah, Mata LA, I don't think is is uh, particularly good, which is the biggest reason for me wanting to move Clark Phillips to the slot. And then in terms of safeties, I was very, very disappointed about moving about uh, losing Latu to the portal because mm-hmm. I thought he was going to have a pretty big role yeah, this year I with the guys we promising. lost. Uh huh. And like he had, like I compared him to an older Utah player, Marquise Blair. I don't know if you I remember, remember him. him. Uh, in the way that uh, Marquise Blair had more targeting penalties than I've ever seen mm-hmm. from anyone else. Yeah, one of them showed up uh, in one of my film review articles back in the day. <laughs> Cam Latu had a lot of that same. Uh, energy to him of like being a missile mm-hmm. now like the difference is latu like aborted at the last second yeah latu sort of reminds <laughs> but, me of Brad, uh, radley hiles the oklahoma to washington transfer last year um where he just like yeah is a, yeah, yeah he's a missile yeah yeah he's a missile and like that was very good sometimes sometimes maybe not so good but like he was gonna like he was solid like he could do a job uh and so mi- losing him is gonna hurt losing mckinney hurts a lot i think because he was a tremendous open field tackler mm-hmm. uh losing Vontae davis i am not <laughs> i'm not as sad about because but i think it's commentary it nice in the rest of the 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 safety core is where i'm going like i agree with you but yeah. i sort of like that guy was getting three times as many reps as anybody the else experience was nice but at the same time he was just not good uh <laughs> and, and like i don't know how how these guys like i agree with your take uh, on all these guys i'm not going to push back on on any of it um but like 
I don't see how who takes their places. And, you know, there there's not a lot of incoming dudes, right? Like there's one uh, there's you know, I, I count uh, 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 two true freshmen who won't show up until the fall, uh, uh, Malaska and uh, Elijah Davis. I count one like uh, Sione Vaki, who I believe is on an LDS mission. You know, he comes in. I saw him a little bit in the spring game. I, you know, I don't know that he's going to be ready to play. I see an, an, an unranked FCS transfer, Clayton Isbell, and that's it. I, those are the... I think Isbell is probably going to be the guy. Really? Uh, if I had to guess. Where do you think he'll play? Uh, free safety. Hmm. That's I, interesting. What do you think? Bishop, about him? the strong safety. Oh, well, uh, I know very little. I know that, uh, that Utah, like Steve Bartle, the Utah's 24 seven Porter. Uh, he, he seemed pretty optimistic or like the way he presented how Utah felt, felt like they like him, which is why I think he's going to be the guy. I am less sold on him. Like Bishop, as we said, I think he's really good, but, I'm worried about the free safety spot. Yeah, man. I, I mean, uh, Malasaka, like, hey, I, un, be unrated really FCS but, transfer also describes Dalton Kincaid. So, you know, we should Which is why I'm not like the sky is falling. Sure. But I'm still I'm still a little worried until I see it with him. Uh, I was hoping we would do a little bit better in the transfer portal for that spot, which is also how I felt about right receiver. But I'm a little surprised that I, I don't think the development here has been, has really knocked my socks off. And I mean, I like Sharif Shaw um, a lot and, and I believe Morgan Scally has safety responsibilities, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, like Twitter at is a safety pride. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been, it has been weird, I guess just after 2019, you know, when they had nailed on safety, it would, yeah, they had nailed on safeties, and then 2020, I guess they just discovered that some of the guys they'd recruited were just whiffs. Mm. I mean, it, you're going to whiff on some. I mean, it's just a lot of uh-huh. averages. Like, nobody should feel, you know, bad about that. It's just like, you know, my I'm I'm trying to, like, piece together the two deep, and I, and I can piece together a one deep okay, but, like... Yeah. You know, nobody ever makes it the season without dipping into the second uh, string. And like, I have a real hard time filling out the second string or being confident in it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's another sort of position where I, you know, I'd be worried about depth. Um, I think Vaughn, if he plays as a safety, could do a decent job. Like, I was impressed by Vaughn in terms of uh, <laughs> a safety moving to fourth string corner. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought he did better than I would have expected him to do in that spot. Like, but at the same time, I don't know that I want it to be him. I'm hoping it's Malasaka who becomes like the third most played safety because just from what little I've watched of his high school, his high school tape, he looks like really talented, like really rangy. Like he could be, I don't know. I don't want to say like direct. <laughs> I don't want to use a direct comparison to Julian Blackman, but he could like play the same kind of role that Blackman did. But it's, True freshman who's getting there in fall, so I don't know if he'll be there this year. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, we're talking about true freshmen. We're talking about uh, unrated dudes, you know, uh, like Isbell mm-hmm. and Vaughn, and we're talking about them playing ahead of scholarship guys, you know. And it sort of like makes me question the development here. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, hey, last question that I got about the um, about the defensive backs is uh, Elisha Lloyd, uh, who was a true freshman last year, didn't play, but is he related to Devin? Not as far as I know. Really? I don't think so. Because I, I, feel like I, I believe the Devin Lloyd was converted yeah. safety, and I was like, ooh, maybe... maybe Devin Lloyd was like a converted wide receiver <laughs> to safety to linebacker. <laughs> it's very confusing with him. 
What about Christopher? Is he related to Christopher? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, we've taken up enough of your time, but we've got one huge question for you, Greg. And that is, how many wins these Utes get next season? Now, really quickly looking at this schedule, opening up September 3rd at Florida Gators. That's going to be a damn good game. I am I'm ready really for looking forward to that game. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. Should be fun. You know what? You're going to turn those Gators. They're going to turn Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. You're going to turn it into Benny Hill Griffin <laughs> Stadium. You're going to be popping the ball up so much. And then one week later, Southern Utah Thunderbirds. We hung up 70 on them one year. Just want to say that. Uh, then San Diego State. So you get the rematch there. Vengeance. Now, as far as the uh, oh yeah, the uh, Pac-12 uh, teams that you're missing, you're missing Washington and you're missing Cal. Uh, those are kind of tough teams to miss, I think. Yeah, I mean, disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> that is a bit disappointing. Uh, and then the road games, you got at ASU, your true rival, mm-hmm. at UCLA, at Wazoo, at Oregon, and at Colorado. So, uh, hey, man, how many wins are you going to get? I'm, I'm placing the – I'm on my bookie right now. All right. Uh, what should I do? I think Utah's over-under – is eight and a half. Mm-hmm. I take the over there. Ooh. I feel pretty comfortable taking the over there because I think there are like three games that I really believe Utah's a chance to lose. Like there are three games that maybe Utah shouldn't be favored in, depending on how it goes. But like the Florida game, obviously, although I think we win that just because first game of a new staff with a team that had some serious issues last year. Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't defend the run at all. And I mean, a lot of that was their defensive coordinator was terrible. Uh, But Utah likes to run the ball. So hopefully that helps. I think Utah beats Florida, but then, you know, you also at Oregon is probably a loss. Uh, And then USC at home should be a (laughs) a very tough one too. That one usually goes to the home team. I don't know. Like I, I, yeah, it does. But at the same time, like I've got to remember, I can't be applying Clay Helton USC principles to Lincoln <laughs> Riley uh, USC, and so I'm less sure. And like at this, but at the same time, it's still year one, and no matter how much of the roster they've turned over, they've still got issues specifically at the line. So I think Utah beat them, and so I'm gonna guess Utah goes. 10 and two loses two of the three to uh uh i've i've just said the names florida oregon usc what do you think about ucla though at it's at ucla the week before the it's like a between oregon state uh you know which was last year's loss mm -hmm. and you know at home and usc which is you know everybody you know that it's the game for the division right even though the divisions don't exist anymore but right in between the two of them is chip kelly at the rose bowl i don't know man that's got trap game written all over it it does but at the same time i can't remember the last time utah had trouble with ucla uh yeah but they played the backup quarterback last year they played the backup quarterback but like I don't know that DTR would have made that much of a difference. Mm. And DTR has improved a ton. Like he's not the guy that lost 52 to nine or whatever the score was uh, in 2019. He's not the same quarterback he was then, but I still like, just don't know if he would have made a big enough difference 
it seems like Morgan Scally just owns Chip Kelly up to this point because Chip Kelly does not like to uh, change mm-hmm. as evidenced I think by you, the fact I think he that he tried blocking Kayvon Thibodeau with Greg Dulcich yeah, when they played you guys, which was infuriating to watch. But I, <laughs> I'm probably less worried about UCLA than I should be, but I've just I've gotten to the point where uh, – I'm not going to be scared of them until they give me a reason to be scared of them. I've I've got nine. I, I'm with you on taking the over. I've got nine. I've got them. I, I've got them going two and two over the four teams that we've talked about. You know, Florida, uh-huh. UCLA, USC, Oregon, and then I think they're going to lose a nonsense game because this is the Pac-12. That makes sense. Also, like, I feel like Utah is usually less prone to the nonsense game. But I mean, like teams, at, but... at Washington State, that's a oh, that's, that's a always nonsense. been a tough one. For that's a nonsense game that doesn't make any sense yeah. you know like and they've got you know they've got a new quarterback who could be really good yeah so. yeah or like it, it, they they get too hyped up at the at arizona state game like even though that should be game should be a total slaughter like i think it'll be a slaughter because utah like it isn't just the fans who hate arizona state like utah is a program i really do think hates arizona, yeah, but state. arizona state hates you that's the thing though well yeah like, but arizona state quit in that last game and they've quit yeah. ever since i, I mean like, i agree everyone with you that they have there. but that w- is just what makes it more of a nonsense game and the more of a nonsense loss that it could possibly be because this is the pac-12 the more likely it is i feel like that's more of a usc nonsense loss mm. than it is a utah nonsense lost mm. i don't know i feel no all of you last year all I of usc's lose losses totally make sense like what are you talking about <laughs> 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 this year i'm like again probably more confident than i should be considering it's the pac-12 but like arizona state is just a shell of a program yeah <laughs> No, I, it's, it's fun. like I everybody, can, everybody is winning. counting Arizona state as a win. Like everybody that we've talked to has tallied Arizona state as a win. Like apparently Arizona state is going to go zero and 12 the next year. And like, I'm telling you, like, even though they've, it is, it is possible that the same thing that happened to Washington and USC, where those teams enjoy a huge talent advantage over almost everybody else in the conference. And yet, well, I don't even think Arizona state has that anymore. Well, they still do though. Like I, I ran out the numbers and they they're still like number five in the conference um, in terms of. Wow. Talent. Even after all those transfers. Yeah, I, I know. Well, it's like this is the thing that, you know, only if you really, you know, maintain an entire database, can you, you extract this stuff um, or just read my Twitter feed because uh, I. <laughs> anyway, like, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of folks are counting Arizona State as an automatic win, which I think could be the case if they go the way of Washington and USC last year, where. They have a big talent advantage, but they fired their coach and the team packs it in. Um, but like that, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> they fired yeah. Herm Edwards. It probably should have I happened. I think keeping but... Herm Edwards is uh, going to help all the teams on their schedule. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't I know, man. Him calling it... a timeout during an extra point last year. <laughs> I mean, but like I said, it would be a nonsense loss. And so therefore, yeah. you know, it would be maximally Pac-12 for that to happen. Absolutely. Well, uh, Herm Edwards helped us get to the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> well, the only uh, game Greg... I'm more confident in of Utah beating yeah. Arizona State is Colorado because I think Colorado could go 0 12 next year. Well, Greg of the No Truck Stops podcast, once again, a fantastic Pac 12 podcast. Um, and you can find that at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. You can find Greg at Banana Morphs. 
That is right. Greg, it, it's always great to talk to you. And thanks so much for giving us a lot of your time diving deep into this Utah roster. Seems like an exciting team. I will hate watching them uh, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Take care, Greg. You too. And then uh, once again, uh, Hithloday at Hithloday, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, number one. Uh, you can find his work on Addiction to Quack. You can find us at Quack Full Podcast. And every week, hopefully, in your podcast catcher. We'll see you next week, everybody. Quack, quack, go Ducks, go Utes. Yeah, go Utes. Yes, that'll work. Go Utes. Quack, 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 quack,